So today we are in part six. Can you believe that? Part six of our message series that we have been going through. It's actually a 10-part series. <laughs> it's probably the longest one we've ever done, or if not one of the longest ones that we've ever done. And so today is part six of our message series called Creed. Um, hopefully you guys have been enjoying it and finding it uh, enlightening, finding it revelatory. Uh, my prayer, my desire for this was really to create a space for us as a church, but as Christians individually, to gain a solid understanding of what we believe and why it matters to us. Um, I think there's a lot in the Bible, obviously. Um, I, I don't even want to you know, put it out there for a question or a poll so that I don't, I don't want anyone to feel bad because it's not my purpose. But um, I don't know how many people have ever read through the entire Bible who call themselves Christians. Um, probably a small minority, I would actually think, have read every word in the Bible. Um, and it's not that it's a competition or even like an achievement, but there is something to me that says, you know, what sad state of affairs is our faith as Christians at large if the book that is the central foundation of it is one that we don't even know very much of. Now, there's a lot, obviously, we spend a lot of time in the New Testament, and most of our understanding in, as Christians come from the New Testament. Um, but there is so much in the Bible that shapes um, what it means to be a follower of Christ. Um, and obviously, the rest of the book, the Bible, the whole thing is really a revelation of who God is. And so, um, all of this message series is really designed around a desire to give a more holistic understanding of what we believe as Christians as compared to um, what maybe you think about things. Maybe you've learned something a little bit different, perhaps even something that challenged your assumptions. Uh, maybe some of what we're talking about now is kind of in process in this journey of kind of deconstructing a little bit of what you knew and what you're learning something else. Maybe God is speaking to you about the, these topics. And so today's topic particularly is one that I think is, I don't want to say controversial, but certainly is one that can create a lot of discussion and debate. Um, my goal is not so much to create um, a, 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 a fire that everyone has to, you know, it's going to burn things down. The desire really is to seek uh, out what the Bible says about it and seek to apply it to our lives. And so just as a quick recap of where we've gone so far as now we've crossed the halfway point in our series, uh, we started with our message series, uh, this, this message series called Creed about the Bible. You know, what we believe about the Bible being that it is the foundation of everything. We believe that the word of God is true and that it really speaks to every area of our life. And so everything that we pull out of every further message really comes from the Bible and seeking how it matters and how it applies to our life. Then we talked about the Trinity, and so we just wrapped up uh, the concept of the Trinity, and then we broke up each of them, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, um, you know, last week we talked specifically about the Holy Spirit, and we said that the Holy Spirit is God is always present, and he always empowers. And so just a reminder of what our statement of faith said about the Holy Spirit. It says that his presence assures us of our relationship with Christ. First and foremost, because of the Holy Spirit, we know that we are children of God. He, he guides believers into all truth, and he exalts Christ. He convicts people of their sin, of God's righteousness in the coming judgment. But he also comforts us. He gives us spiritual gifts, and he makes us more like Christ. And in addition to that, the ongoing baptism or the infilling is the promise of the Father which is given by Jesus to empower the church to supernaturally communicate the gospel throughout the earth. And because of that filling, with this regular infilling, the believer has the potential of experiencing various manifestations such as scripturally based prophetic experiences, unknown tongues, and other, other visible outward signs. This is designed to, um, to, to go with us as we proclaim the gospel. So God is always present. He's always empowers and through the Holy Spirit. And we kind of said that it's like a direct connection, like a broadband connection. It's like the glue or the caulk that holds our faith together. It, it pulls it together and is always causing us to be stronger. And it's like a nitrous boost in the engine that empowers us um, as Christians. Well, this week we're going to uh, switch gears away from some of those early foundational concepts about God to this week is more of a practical matter, uh, the concept of healing. What does the Bible have to say about the idea of healing? And so today's message is entitled this, and this is a clue as to really the overall point of the entire message is this, healing, 
wholeness is God's desire. Wholeness is God's desire. And I would take it actually a step further and say restoration, but the title of this message is wholeness is God's desire. But so let's start by reading our statement of faith about healing today. And you can find these as a reminder, all of these are on our website on the What We Believe page. So if you want to see these uh, statements of faith, you can do that. But here's what it says about the concept of healing. It says this, healing of the sick is illustrated in the life and ministry of Jesus and is included in the commission of Jesus to his disciples. It is a provision of Christ's atonement on the cross and is given as a sign which is to follow believers. And then there's this parentheses, note, this does not imply the false concept that immediate healing always accompanies true faith. There are many righteous in scripture who did not immediately receive healing in this life. Rather, healing can also be a process which is finalized by entrance into heaven, close parentheses. So our actual statement of faith is pretty short, right? It's just really about, um, you know, Jesus did it, his disciples were told to do it, and as Christians today, it's a sign that can follow us. That's pretty much it. And then there's that really big other caveat, which is, but there's a misconception. And so I want to talk a little bit about all of that today. Today's message is entitled Healing God's Desire. Wholeness is God's desire. Wholeness is God's desire. Before we get into it, I, I like to think about when I think of the first word, the key word of the day, I always like to think about what pops into my head when I think about them. So when you think of the word healing, what immediately just comes into your mind when you hear the word healing in conjunction with the concept of Christianity? Here are some things that pop into my mind, and maybe they are uh, similar to you. Maybe they're different, and we'll talk about these some, some in our discussion, maybe. When I think of healing, the first thing that comes to my mind is healing evangelists, um, like those guys that you would see on, uh, on cable TV or um, either like really late at night. I don't know if this is even a thing anymore. Cable access network shows these kinds of things. Um, where you would just flip on them, or even on like uh, there's Christian radio, um, not to say that Christian radio is bad or that the preaching on there is bad, but there are some preachers that they do some weird things. Um, I remember in college, there was one person who uh, had these prayer cloths um, that they would sell, essentially. They would say, give us your donation, and we'll send you a prayer miracle cloth, like a healing miracle cloth. Um, my, my friend Scott Phillips um, thought it would be funny if he would do it. So he called up and made up a story and uh, donated like $10 or something. And they ended up mailing him this little thing. And we had instructions in it that said, put it in water and watch the miracle take place. You know what it was? It was a sponge. It was a it was a sponge. It was a it was about this big. It was like a little square, like a probably like a two inch by two inch square that when you put it in water, it just became like, you know, six inches by six inches. Uh, and it and it just kind of expanded and became like a little ShamWow type cloth. Right. And the idea was for you to now take this thing and whenever you pray, you you hold that in your hand and the miracle of healing will come into your body. Like this was, this was, you know, the kind of thing that I, uh, that we would see sometimes when we, we would go searching for, but there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people who, who need, who are searching for healing, who are desperate and they flock to these kinds of um, conferences or preaching services where these healing evangelists do things like that. That's not to say that everyone who preaches and prays over the sick in a ministry capacity is a, is a charlatan, um, but this is what comes to my mind. Um, I also think of signs and wonders festivals. This is not a negative thing, but something else that comes to my mind. If uh, you guys, some of you have been with our church for a few years now, know that Heather and I both have traveled uh, overseas to India and to Africa with uh, a missionary organization called SOS Mission, um, or SOS Adventure, I think they're called now. And their, their belief and purpose of their organization is to reach preach the gospel to people who have not heard about Jesus, and they do it by like the book of Acts, which is they believe that when you go and proclaim the gospel message of Jesus, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to a group of people who believe in other gods, right? Like that when you pray for the sick, 
um, that, that they will be healed, like you see in the book of Acts. And so they have these things called signs and wonders festivals where they just set up these large tents and they preach uh, over the course of a few days and many come to know the Lord and many people uh, experience miracles. Say what you will about that. Um, I have been there and I have seen some of this firsthand and it is challenging to my American sensibilities. I will tell you that is true. But I've also seen things that I cannot explain um, and that my faith speaks to me that there is truth in, in, in much of this. So, so I see on one end of the spectrum this kind of what I know is fake. And then I see on the other end of the spectrum this concept of, of something that I cannot explain and yet matches up with biblical experience. So healing, right? But then here we are in Pittsburgh. And when I have a headache or my wife is sick with the flu or, you know, I have a family member or a friend or someone that I know at work who has cancer and we maybe pray over them and pray and ask God uh, to heal them and touch them. And then they don't seem to get better. So these are, these are all of the, the places, right? That we sort of find ourselves in. We have the charlatans on one end. We have the incredible miracles on the other end, and then somewhere in the middle is everyday regular life. And so what is it that we believe about healing, and why does it matter? Well, remember, this is not about, today's message is not about why does God heal and why does he not at other times. It's not about does he and does he not at other times. It's really about wholeness. Today's message is about the overall idea of how God wants people to be in his trajectory of where he's leading us. And so today, today's message is entitled, Wholeness is God's Desire. So the first part I want to talk about is, the first part of our spiritual belief that we see on our website is that healing of the sick is illustrated in the life and ministry of Jesus and is included in the commission of Jesus to his disciples. So if we're going to learn about healing, you just start at the source, right? So we follow Jesus and we see the most healing taking place by Jesus. It's no secret. He did it all the time. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, if you have your Bibles out, um, pull them out. If you don't, wave them at the screen. Let me see them. Let me see those Bibles or those smartphones or tablets. All right. Open them up. Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17 is where we're going to be going. And uh, this is just one of so many examples that we see, right? So we're going to use this as kind of like the trophy, uh, if you will, of, of like a, a placeholder or a marker of so many other passages. But this particular one um, speaks specifically of not just um, what Jesus did, but the significance of why it matters. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17 says this, when evening came, they brought to him, Jesus, many who were demon-possessed. He drove out their spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled when it said, he himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. Now, the reason that we use this particular passage of scripture is because look at what our first part of our statement of faith says. Healing of the sick is illustrated in the life of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus. We see in Matthew, but it's linking back to Isaiah when it talks about Jesus coming, the Messiah being prophesied. And one of the signs of the Messiah would be that he would carry our diseases. He would take our weaknesses upon himself. And then we see that obviously on the cross, he became sin for us. Later on, we're going to see a passage of scripture that talks about how because of his, his death, because of his atonement, he, that makes the way for healing to take place. So we see in the life and ministry of Jesus that everywhere he went, he went with the, when he fed the 5,000, it says that Jesus came off the boat, saw this massive crowd and was compassionate, moved with compassion. The word there talks about like the bowels, like it's like a, like it's deep, deep, deep within him that he like, was moved with compassion, then he spent time healing people. Everywhere he went, people would cry out. There was this story of the woman who had, who had the, the problem with, with co constant bleeding. And she, she was, I think it said 12 years, I think it was, that she dealt with this issue. And she was chasing after Jesus, like pushing through a crowd. And like, just as so she could touch him, 
There were um, people who were crippled and disabled and couldn't move and couldn't go anywhere. And they would cry out to Jesus. There was a desperation. And Jesus was oftentimes moved by it. Jesus's ministry, his life and ministry was marked by the concept of a supernatural healing in individuals' bodies. But it's also included in the commission of Jesus to his disciples. Um, we saw the story of when Jesus sent out, this is even before his death and resurrection, Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs and in, in twos, right? And he told them to go and pray for the sick and cast out demons. And, and they did it. He told them, they, you will do these things because I'm doing them. And so there's this concept of that as his disciples, that Jesus has passed on what was his to us to follow in his footsteps. And then we see in James chapter 5, if you guys will flip there, James chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, we actually see instruction for us to pray for people who are sick. I mean, he asked the question in James 5, verse 14, is any among you sick? Like, so if, if someone is sick, if you have a cold, if someone is, you know, has a, has a back problem, someone has a disease, I mean, sickness can be anything, right? If any, is anyone among you sick? Here's what he should do. He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, pray over the person who is sick, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This is a, um, like a Jewish tradition of anointing with oil. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And then it says this, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And this is an area that I think right there, just right there, if we're honest, maybe some of us are like, I don't know that it is. I don't know that I think it is anyway. I understand that, that the Bible says it. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And then there's part of me that goes, all right, but on the spectrum of charlatan to miracle worker, I'm probably somewhere closer to the first spot. Like when I pray for people, it doesn't seem like anything happens. It could be any number of circumstances. My financial situation, you know, when I'm praying for the sick, um, praying for a job, any number of things. Um, maybe some of us maybe feel like, I don't know that I feel like the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. That maybe that means I'm not very righteous. I don't know. But I want to call you back to week one of this message series about the Bible. We have to be a people that believes that what the Bible says is true. If we are going to be Christians and believe in the word of God as our foundation, as inspired by God to his people, then the instructions that are given to, it, given to us in it are certainly can be difficult, can be hard to swallow, but we can't say that they're not true. There has to be a place in which that's the foundation. And if we're not seeing the result of what it says, then that should drive us not to doubt. I'm not even saying doubt, but should drive us to a place of deeper searching and wrestling and deeper understanding, a deeper study. And, and, and if you come to a different conclusion, that's okay. What I'm trying to say, though, is, is don't be the people that don't that say, I just throw my hands up and I'm not going to understand and I'm just going to be frustrated and sit in that space. That's not okay. So what we see here in this passage of scripture is if you are sick, if someone is sick, the goal and the instruction is to pray for that person. We are called to be like Jesus and to do the things that he did. Our job is obedience, not the outcome. So the concept of we put so much pressure on ourselves for a number of reasons. We feel like if I pray for someone and they don't get well, then, then like I'm going to feel embarrassed. Or what does that say about God? Or any number of things of that nature. And I understand that. And last week we talked about the concept of not trying to operate in spaces that you aren't, uh, that you're not gifted in. So what about that, Pastor Jared? You just told me not to operate in the gift of healing if it's not a gift of mine that I have not had representative. So how should I pray for people who are sick? I think there's a different kind of way to pray for someone if you have the gift of healing versus somebody who is just praying for the sick. 
Like what we do on a Sunday at the end of our church gathering, where we pray over each other and ask God to, to, to intervene in our life circumstances is praying in faith and asking God to do something. That's a different level than knowing that I'm operating in the gift of the Holy Spirit, like a Jedi is like wielding the force. Like that's not exactly what we're, there's a difference between what we're saying here. So what we see in James chapter five, the concept of praying over people, putting your hands on someone's shoulder on their forehead and, and praying in faith that God would heal that person is different than, than, a, than a, like a commanding using the giftings. Hi, Everett. Good to see you, buddy. Um, and so we're instructed in James chapter five to be people of prayer. Our job is obedience, is to be obedient to the word of God but then to trust God for the outcome. And so I wrote down a couple of reasons why this matters. One is that we are supposed to be people who pray for the sick and expect them to get well. We expect them to get well in some form or capacity because that's what God's word says. We cannot be people who lead by doubt. I'm not saying we don't have doubt because I, among many, probably have more doubt than much of many of you do. I am naturally a pessimistic, doubting individual. This is just who I am as a person, okay? But we can't let that be the foundation of our walk in Christ. We have to be people who follow scriptural mandate, which is to pray for the sick. And that can be, my wife is sick, so I want to pray for her. It could be us praying for each other at church, or it could be somebody at work or in your neighborhood, you find out that they're not feeling well, and you ask them, hey, um, I don't know if you're a person of prayer or not a religious person, but would you mind if I prayed for you? That is the people that we are called to be. We are called to be people who pray over the sick and expect them to get well, expect them reasonably trusting that God is faithful and can and wants to, knowing that he might not. And again, not praying with a, an ultimate confidence that if I say these words, it's going to happen, but the, just the baseline of we should be people of prayer. But I will also say this, it also matters because what you believe on this matter will determine your behavior. Kind of like we said in other areas, if you are the kind of person that just doesn't believe that God is going to do something, you're probably not even going to bother praying for them. If you're the kind of person that doesn't think that God cares, why would you intersect in that space? Why would you act in that space? But like the people in SOS Mission who do the Signs and Wonders festivals, they believe, theologically, they actually believe that what you see in the book of Acts is not just from for then, but it's also for every believer today. And so they believe theologically that when you proclaim the gospel message to an unreached people group, that signs and wonders will follow. And so because they believe that, they act on that. They have oriented their lifestyle around and their behavior around that. Now, I'm not suggesting that you or I need to be people in the city of Pittsburgh setting up big tents and, and doing these things. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm saying is, is that what we believe on this matter, if God can, if God wants to, if God still does, if he wants to use me, and if he expects me to pray for people, what I think about those areas will determine whether or not I choose to actually pray for people or not. And so that's my challenge for you in this space here is that we are called to be people who pray for the sick and expect them to get well. But what we believe on the matter will determine our behavior. Healing of the sick is illustrated in the life and ministry of Jesus and is included in the commission of Jesus to his disciples. Our second part says it is a provision of Christ's atonement on the cross and it is given as a sign, which is to follow believers. What do we mean by that? Well, let's divide it into a couple of passages real quick. Isaiah 53, verse 5. This is what we mean by that healing is provided in, from Christ's atonement on the cross. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. This is where healing comes from. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. This is a prophetic uh, message, a prophecy about the Messiah from the uh, prophet Isaiah, talking about Jesus. He was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We are healed by his wounds. And then again in Psalm 103, 
103, the 103rd Psalm, verses 2 and 3, it says, my soul, bless the Lord. He's talking to himself. He's commanding his soul to bless God. And do not forget all of God's benefits because he forgives all your iniquity and he heals all your diseases. Punishment for our peace was on him. He was crushed because of our iniquities. We are healed by his wounds. He forgives our iniquity and he heals all of our diseases. These two passages, they link the consequences of sin in the need for Christ's salvation, right? So we see that. We see like he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquity. He forgives our iniquity. We see the need for Jesus. We see the need for a connection back with our creator that is separating us because of our iniquity, because of our sin, right? So both of these passages talk about that we can't do it ourselves, but they also link that salvation brings access to restoration. Salvation brings access to restoration, both immediately and eternal, right? It says our punishment for our peace. If we're to receive peace, that punishment was on him. We are healed by his wounds because of that payment, right? He forgives our iniquity, and because of that forgiveness, he heals our disease, Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18 talks about not just the, the concept of, of healing coming from Jesus, but then, then as Christians, we are to be people who that same healing, that same restoration is to flow through us. Now, this is a relatively controversial passage of Scripture, but I included it because I wanted to just to see the direct, uh, the direct words of Jesus here. Mark 16, verses 17 and 18. It says, and these signs, signs will accompany those who believe in me. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. And they will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. Now, the thing I need to understand about this is that this passage was not designed to create a cult. Okay, There are a lot of people, uh, or not a lot, there are subsects of Christianity that have taken this passage quite literally and built it into their Christian Christian practices, ritualistic practices as a church, if you will, to where they're called snake handlers and where they they do that and they actually would um, would allow themselves to be bitten by venomous snakes or they would drink poison and things of that nature, trusting that God would would you know protect them right or heal them uh, as a sign to unbelievers. Um, this is not the prescription of why Jesus did that. Jesus was not saying to them, hey, you should make this a practice, okay? Um, that's probably why it's the only passage in Scripture that this is even mentioned, whereas in other passages in the epistles, uh, the Apostle Paul and John and Peter spoke more at length on the concept of praying for the sick or on the gifts of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit do not seem to include things like picking up snakes or drinking poison, okay? These are not part of uh, the gifts of the Spirit, all right? So, but we see healing, and we do see the concept of praying in tongues and also the concept of even casting out demons. Those are mentioned in other places. All right. So let's just be clear on that. This is not uh, designed to create a cult. But instead, the purpose of why Jesus did this or spoke this was to illustrate that the supernatural can break into the mundane for the purposes of the gospel message being proclaimed. That's why it's spoken here. Like we said last week, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to be present in our lives, but the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is to give evidence to the gospel message. The concept of me saying that a dead guy is now alive and living for eternity, reigning and ruling in heaven, is true, is supposed to be accompanied by a supernatural sign. Now, there are a lot of different ways that can happen, but this is the same vein here. The concept of the gospel message being proclaimed and a sign accompanying it so that people can know that it is validated and that it is true. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, when you pray for the sick and they get well, then people will know that you're, that you're telling the truth. When you proclaim the gospel and things change in people's lives, they will know 
And it's important for us to understand that it's not just a magic trick, that it's not just like, a, I'm going to go pray for this person and I say the certain words and it happens. The desire is that people will know that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that they can be forgiven. And this is why when Jesus healed several people in scripture, he didn't tell them first that their bones would be healed. He actually said their forgiveness was, their sins were forgiven first. There's that the message where Jesus was was uh, with the uh, was preaching in the house, and the and then this this man who was who was crippled who couldn't walk was paralyzed and, and was sleeping on a mat, and his brothers his friends dropped him down like lowered him inside of the house on ropes from like the thatch roof, and they lowered him inside because the the building was packed and they couldn't get in, so they lower him in. Could you imagine that for a second while I'm like preaching right now that like you know this like this sort of like little baby Yoda that I'm holding here just like starts getting lowered down into the room. Like how crazy would that be? And this is what happened in this, in the story. And Jesus says to him, get up and walk. Your sins have been forgiven. Like he says to him, like he says, your faith has made you well, your sins are forgiven. And the disciples or the, 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 the elders of from the Jewish elders who are in the room, chastise Jesus and say, how dare you? How dare you like forgive this man's sin? How could you say that? And what Jesus was doing is he was linking his divinity in that moment. And he said, but so you know, I have the authority to forgive. I will heal this man. You see what happened there? The authority to proclaim the message of forgiveness is validated by a sign. And so when we see in Isaiah chapter 53, that's talking about how because he was crushed for our iniquities, he was pierced because of our rebellion, and because our peace that we have access to is now given because of the punishment that he received, we now have access to forgiveness, but also healing. It comes through the provision of Christ's atonement on the cross, but it is also given as a sign in which to follow believers. He's not trying to create a cult at all. He didn't want us to be people that think too much about healing. This is not supposed to define our ministry. Jesus actually said that people will know that we are his followers by the way that we love. He didn't say people will know that you are my followers specifically because you healed them. He, what he's saying is, is that this is a sign and that we should be people who pray for the, for others and expect them to get well because of who God is, not because of what we did. Healing of the sick is illustrated in the life and ministry of Jesus, and it is included in the commission of Jesus to his disciples. And it is a provision of Christ's atonement on the cross and is given as a sign which is to follow believers. And now I want to end with our disclaimer section that is built right into our statement of faith. It says this, Note, this does not imply the false concept that immediate healing always accompanies true faith. There are many righteous in scripture who didn't immediately receive healing in this life. Rather, healing can also be a process which is finalized by entrance into heaven. Now, before I read my short scripture passage that I want to kind of anchor this point home with, I just want to kind of anecdotally just mention a couple things about it. I am really excited that we put the statement of faith that specifically calls this out because I think this is where a lot of people get tripped up. This is the question that we kind of started with. This idea of, all right, I see what you're saying, Pastor Jared. I see that, that yes, Jesus's life and ministry was clearly marked by healing. We see that his disciples were called to do it as well. We see all throughout the book of Acts, this was the case, right? I can also see that the atonement is what provides access to healing and to restoration. We see that it is God's desire. It is God's plan for that. I see that. And this should be a sign that follows us because we're told to pray for people. I see all of that. But what about when people say to me, well, you didn't get sick. You didn't get better because you're not, you don't have enough faith. How many times have, have you heard that yourself or have when you prayed for someone that you thought that about yourself? And then how many times it maybe some of you have had the unfortunate, not pleasure, but the unfortunate circumstance of meeting a pastor or another Christian, it's even worse when it's a pastor, 
who makes you feel like and have actually said to you that you didn't get well or that person didn't get better because you don't have enough faith or some there's some sin hidden in your life or something like that. And I love the fact that, that our statement of faith specifically calls that a false concept. It is a false teaching and nowhere in scripture does it imply that true faith guarantees supernatural healing. And I love that it says here that rather healing can also be a process in which is finalized by the entrance into heaven. This is why this sermon is called Wholeness is God's Desire. Wholeness is God's Desire. I want to read a very short scripture. It's in 3 John chapter 2. You heard me correctly. This is the third epistle of John, not the gospel of John. So it's right before Revelation. All right. Go all the way to the end. So open your Bible to the very end and then flip back a few, you know, a few pages. Okay. It's probably like page like 1702, something around there. Third John 2, which just tells you that it's only one chapter long. Okay. It's two. It's like just verse two. Third John 2 says this, dear friend. This is him writing. I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health, just as your whole life is going well. That's it. Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health, just as your whole life is going well. This verse does not say, dear friend, I command in Jesus name that you will be healed. It doesn't say that. It doesn't like demand it. It doesn't fully expect it. There seems to be an implication that he understands that by the time he wrote this letter, by the way, which was many years after Jesus had left this earth. So at this point, he is speaking from a place of experience, a place of authority as a leader in the church. And he's writing these letters and he's sending them out so that people understand. It's a very small verse, but it implies that he understands that sometimes you pray for the sick and they don't get well. But it also implies that God's desire is that we would have good life, that we would be healthy, that we would have wholeness, that God's desire is not that we would be suffering, that we would not live a life of, of pain all the time. Yet it exists. And yet sometimes that is the case for some. We see the Apostle Paul asking God over and over again, please remove this thorn on my side. We don't know what it is. It could have been a person. It could have been like a, 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 an individual who is causing him constant strife in his ministry. It could have been a disease, possibly, like his health was failing, something like a chronic disease. We don't know. And God's reply to him was, my grace is enough for you. And then we see later on that he talks about how he has found contentment in that space. We see from these apostles, these great fathers of our faith, that they believe in the power. They were used supernaturally to pray for the sick. And so when we read the book of Acts, what do we see? We see healing after healing after healing. We see miracle after miracle after miracle. But how many stories happened that didn't make it into the book of Acts? I wonder. How many times did James or Peter or Paul go into a city, into a town square, and stand up and proclaim the name of Jesus and pray over someone? Hello? Are we there? Okay. <laughs> Zoom, man. <laughs> Breaking the message. Anybody listening on the podcast, we had a disconnection issue. Sorry about that. I think that's the question that comes to me is how many times did someone in the book of Acts that we didn't see, how many times did the Apostle Paul or Peter or John or James, these guys go out and proclaim the name of Jesus, pray over the sick, and then it didn't happen? How many times? And it just didn't get written down. We know that Jesus lived a life of three and a half or 33 years on earth. And we see his ministry of three and a half years in the Gospels. But we know that many of the things that Jesus did didn't end up written down. Isn't it possible that the same thing happened in Acts? How many times did, did John pray for someone? They had a cold or they had cancer or they had a disease and that person still died. How many times that happened? And yet we see him writing, right? Still believing that God does heal, that God desires wholeness. Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way. And I pray that you're in good health. My desire is that. And I know God's desire is for you to be healed as well. Just as your whole life is going well, I want your health to match the goodness that's going on in your life. 
And here's what I would say about this. Faith in Jesus restores the connection with God, right? That's what we know to be true, right? Isaiah 53, Psalm 103, because of our faith in Jesus and his payment of our penalty for sin, that he has created the connection. He has restored the connection with our creator. And now because of that allows God's original design to begin flowing again into our lives and in our world. When we pray, right? So we see in the, in the Lord's prayer, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in Pittsburgh as it is in heaven, in Stanton Heights as it is in heaven. That's the prayer, right? When we have faith in Jesus, it restores the connection with God and allows God's original design to begin flowing again into our lives and in our world. That's what's called the kingdom of God. We are praying for his kingdom to come in. However, while God's kingdom is breaking into our lives, and in the spaces around us, that's why we pray for the sick. That's why we, we look for God to do these things. It is still overtaking the dominion of the existing kingdom of this world, right? We see Jesus's word saying that this world is owned by another. The kingdom, the ruler of this world, we call him Satan. He has dominion. He's been given dominion over this world because of sin. So the kingdom of God is breaking in. It is taking dominion over our lives and breaking in and taking dominion over areas and pockets of the kingdom of this world, which means that God's healing restoration, among other things, is sometimes not immediately or fully materialized in our physical existence because it is the both here now, the kingdom of God is here, but it is also not fully realized. It is not yet. That's why we're pray, called to pray for the kingdom. That's why we're called to ask God to bring his kingdom for his will to be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven, because there are places where on earth it is not as in heaven. So that helps us understand why sometimes we pray for the sick and they are not healed. It helps us to understand that why sometimes when, 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 when the bad thing happens that we feel like, but if God is good, why does that thing still happen? Because we know that in the story of, of God that we see throughout Scripture, that God has set a plan in motion to ultimately restore all things, but to do it in such a way where people have choice. God could just reset everything, but then we would complain that we weren't given choice, that we were robots. But in the same token, because God doesn't intervene and fix everything, we say, but then how is God good? Do you see the contradiction built into that? And so God has set things in motion. He sent his son, Jesus. He has created and restored a connection so that we could begin to go back to what it was like in the Garden of Eden. The concept of, of wholeness, of restoration. Wholeness is God's desire, but he wants it to be in a place of relationship, not in a place of, of mindless robots. So he gives us choice. And because the kingdom of God intersects in places where the kingdom of this world still exists, it creates spaces in which God's desire just does not take place immediately. And so that's frustrating and that's difficult for us because that means that we have to be people who pray for the sick or who pray for God's will to be done in circumstances. And yet man's will is still done instead in those circumstances. And that happens. It still happens. God's healing and his restoration sometimes is delayed. And this is why so much of the New Testament is about looking ahead to the return of Christ. And our hope is actually in eternity. It never talks about our hope now. It talks about our hope for eternity, our hope of the return of Jesus, because we know that when he returns, he will begin to set all things right. We know that with, at the end of the book, right, in Revelation, we see that he will wipe away every tear. We'll see that there will be no more sadness. There will be no more death. But until that time, we have hope in eternity. And what that means is that when we pray for the sick, that those who know Jesus, even if they die in their physical body and the disease that takes them, that they are restored in their new body. That is the promise of our faith. And for some people, that sounds like a token, like a like a like not an answer. And I'm trying my best to give my understanding of why we pray for the sick and sometimes they're not healed, but it doesn't mean that it's not still true and that it's not still hope-filled. 
when a loved one who knows Jesus dies in pain, and yet we have hope that now they're walking with Jesus. How many times have we comforted a loved one, a family member, or someone in church, and we've said they're no longer suffering and they're walking with Jesus? That's hope. And I don't take that as, as, like a, as a cop-out. I take that as beautiful and wonderful, and I'm thankful for it. And it gives me hope and strength that no matter if my grandmother or my friend or even myself one day is suffering up until the very moment when I leave this world, I take great hope to know that the moment if I just hold on, that I will be restored and I'll receive my reward. And I think if we could have that perspective in life, it would change the way that we view healing. That I'm praying for healing, not in a transactional thing, but I'm praying for God's healness to be restored in life in the way that I view the relationship. If I pray for healing for my grandmother or for my, my dad or for my friend, and that they're close to me and they're suffering and I'm praying for that, and I get angry, I now have a disconnect from God. But if I pray for their healing and their restoration, it restores my faith in God. It restores my relationship with this person. I begin to see that God will heal them one way or another, and it changes the way that my outlook. It gives me peace. It helps me comfort those who are sick and dying. I remember, I remember very early in the first year, seven years ago, praying for... Faith Dinkfeld on her deathbed in the hospital. She actually passed away the day after I met her, sat with her in her in, in the hospital. I remember going to the hospital. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Okay. I remember going to the hospital and sitting in her bed. This is the first time as a as a pastor I'd ever sat with someone who was dying. And I remember sitting with her holding her hand and she was crying. In some ways, she was not understanding why she didn't get healed of cancer. Why? Like I, you know, we all prayed over her as a church many times. I remember praying with her as her pastor. I remember believing in faith that she would be healed, but also just sitting there in reality in the hospital bed, knowing that she was about to take her last breaths. And we, I held her hand and this is one of the hardest things I've ever done as a pastor, held her frail bony hand and was reading through Psalms reading when David was crying out about the anguish in his bones, that he was, that he was the, the language he was using about how he was feeling like he was going to die and he was in anguish and he didn't understand where God was and why he wasn't answering these prayers. And taking hope in those, in hope that there are men who came before us who are, who are with God, and at the same time, it filled me with hope that I was able to give to her that faith, I don't know why God chose to allow you to suffer in this way, but I do know that when you go and it is your time, you won't feel this way anymore and you'll be at peace and you'll be healed. And that has made a mark on me so that now when I see people who are suffering, I can, I can give them those reminders. And I think that's really the desire of God. God's desire is for wholeness not for transactional moments. I don't understand why God does what he does and why he doesn't when he doesn't. I don't know. And that's not for me to ask or to answer. Job asked that question and was kind of chastised by God in the whirlwind for it. And what Job walked away with was a greater respect for the sovereignty of God. But I'm thankful that we can look back over a few thousand years of the story from Job all the way through what we see in scripture in the New Testament and now 2,000 years beyond that, that God's desire, the greater picture is wholeness and that he will wipe away every tear and that he will restore all things. And so, yes, we should be people who should pray for the sick and we should be people who believe that God will heal the sick. But we should never be a people that believes that no matter what we do, That when we pray for them, that if God chooses not to physically heal someone in that moment, that that means that we don't have enough faith, or that that person have enough faith. The answer is, if they know Jesus, they will be healed guaranteed 100% 
in eternity, regardless of what happens on this earth. And that is really the challenge for us as Christians, is to be people who see we are citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom of God first, which has an eternity to it, not the 70, 80, 90 years that we live on earth. And it's so hard for us to not see that perspective. I get it. But the truth of the matter is, is that we are called to be people who first and foremost look to God as an eternal being, and that healing is provided 100% guaranteed from that perspective when all things will be restored. Healing of the sick is illustrated in the life and ministry of Jesus. It is included in the commission of Jesus to his disciples. It is a provision of Christ's atonement on the cross, and it is given as a sign which is to follow believers. And it does not imply the false concept that immediate healing always accompanies true faith. There are many righteous in scripture who did not immediately receive healing in this life. Rather, healing can also be a process which is finalized by entrance into heaven. Healing, wholeness is God's desire. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your teaching. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your desire to heal and to bring wholeness. It's frustrating and it's difficult when we pray for the sick and they are not healed physically. It is hard for us to watch loved ones or even strangers um, suffer. It's hard for that and it causes question and doubt. And I think you know that. But I thank you for also the eternity that you offer. I thank you that you provide healing in your wounds on the cross, that it is available for us. I thank you that you partner with us to bring life to others by praying for the sick. God, may we be people who believe the baseline is that we should pray for the sick and expect them to get well because you tell us to do it. May we also be people who trust in your sovereignty and the hope of eternity that one day all who call in the name of Jesus will be healed. It doesn't matter what happens. One day, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be healed, either in this life or the next. May we be reminded of that, comforted of that, and strengthened in faith through that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home, or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.